The Pellicle Podcast is supported by our Patreon subscribers. If you'd like to support our website, podcast and magazine, please visit patreon.com forward slash pellicalemag. I'm Matthew Curtis, and this is the Pellicle Podcast. Welcome to the Pellicle Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Curtis, and over the next hour, we'll be digging into some of our favourite topics. Beer, wine, cider, along with the food and travel that goes hand in hand with these experiences. Today's episode is a lost podcast of sorts. I originally recorded this interview in late 2018 for the Good Beer Hunting Podcast. Sadly, I left GBH before it was ever submitted, and it has sat languishing on my hard drive ever since. Listening back to it recently, I decided it was too good not to publish. It features Nick Dolan, Zef King and Tim Payton of Real Ale, a small, independent chain of bottle shop bar hybrids. What's fascinating is that their business isn't simply that of a retailer. They're also in the distribution game, perhaps most notably supplying supermarket chain Marks & Spencer with their own brand range of beers. A small disclaimer, however. In this interview, it's stated that Real Ale owns a stake in Woodford's Brewery in Norfolk. This is no longer the case. However, it's still a fascinating look into the advantages that having a hand in so many tiers of the industry brings to a modern beer business. While this episode is perhaps a bit more business-focused than we aspire to produce here at Pellicle, it still centres on what fascinates us the most. Great food and drink. So whatever you're doing, please sit back, relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to The Pellicle Podcast. So why don't you begin by introducing yourselves and describing your your roles here at Real Ale and and telling everyone listening a little bit about your business because there's a lot to tell by the sound of things. There's quite a bit. Um, my name's Nick Dolan. I, um, I'm the owner, founder, and I think my role is deputy chairman at the moment. Um, what deputy chairman? What does that mean? Uh, means my dad's chairman. <laughs> so you, you founded <laughs> the business he, with your dad? No, yeah, well, yeah, he was a silent shareholder, um, but I did all the heavy lifting. I point that out to you on a regular basis. Um, yeah, so I started the business in um, 2000 and incorporated in 2004, opened the, our first shop in 2005, May 2005, and previously to that I'd actually helped uh, one of my best friend's father open a beer shop on his farm in North Norfolk, a shop called The Real Ale Shop, just on yeah. the Holcomb Estate. Uh, I'm Zeph, Zeph King, I'm MD, um, been in the business nine years next month. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were just, there were four of us, we're now up to 20, so. Wow, when um, was the business founded? 2004, yeah. incorporated, yeah. started 2005, opened the doors. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm responsible for everything. Everything. 
the nitty gritty and um, I guess the direction of the business, the growth of the business, um, looking for new and exciting things to do. Excellent. Uh, I'm Tim. Um, I I joined the company in 2014. Um, I look after both our shops and look after, well, hopefully chasing new new shops as well. Um, Generally oversee the retail kind of direction of the business. yeah, it's changed a lot since I've been here um, in a short time, but it's an exciting place to work. How so? You say it's changed a lot from what was it and how has that, what's that change look like? Well, when I started in 2014, um, obviously this was prior to quite a substantial refit we had in our Twickenham store. Um, we didn't have things like a growler machine, we only had maybe two or three shelves worth of cans, and now it's the majority of the shop. Yeah, literally, um, the shelf behind you is, is, from what I can see, just cans. Okay, there's some bottles bottles on the bottom shelf, but it's two-thirds cans, which yeah. is, which is uh, true to most shops, I would say. Exactly, yeah. It's an industry-wide thing. Yeah. Um, very colourful, beautiful branding. Um, yeah, it's just been a really exciting time to work in the beer industry, I guess. Yeah, when, when we first started the business back in 2005, we started with only bottle conditioned beers in the shop, all from British breweries all around the country. And the whole idea was that we wanted to allow people to, on the start of the shop, to, to go away on holiday, discover local microbreweries, be able to then get their beer back in Twickenham, you know, where there are lots of chimney pots around us, so they could actually kind of discover a new beer and then actually be able to get it in their locality. And our, the, the kind of, our mantra for the business is always to introduce people to new and different beers, but to support the British brewing industry. And since 2005, um, we started off with all bottle conditioned. We then started, brewers started doing more filtered, good breweries started doing more filtered beer. Um, bottled beer went from 500 mil into 330s as well, so there was a bit of differentiation from that. And we've then kind of recently gone into the cans where we started off with, I think, four or five cans in the shop. Yeah. You know, kind of around the time um, Tim started. And now, you know, it's all refrigeration. Before I set the whole shop up, there was no refrigeration in the shop at all. Mm-hmm. It was all just wooden shelving with bottles on the shelf. Um, and now we probably will, we, we steer away from putting too much shelving in. It's all about how can we get another fridge into the shop yeah. to mm-hmm. keep the beer nice and cool and, and in good condition. That's really, refrigeration is really a thing that um, has been a, a big topic in the UK because, you know, you, you see distributors like the bottle shop pushing their, mm. their cold chain. People talk about how good the cold chain is in, in the US. My experience is that, that it is good, but most mostly it's a myth. That it's still, you know, like the UK, um, there's still a lot of warm beer, uh, ambient beer on shelves in, yes, in warehouses and in in, uh, in shops. So it is, it is um, uh, I mean, upstairs it's all all fridged. Yeah. So which is, um, there are a few great places. Um, you, you guys, um, Caps and Taps in North London, the shop out in Hereford, Hereford Beer House. That theirs is entirely a cold room. It's it's pretty. It's like the draft system and fridge in in uh, in one. Um, how do you think the, the consumer perceives that that refrigeration? Does, does that have an impact on on their perception? Will, are they more likely to uh, to come to your store knowing that they can get a, a cold fresh beer? Does it help, or is it, is it more, more for your own peace of mind? I think it was for our own peace of mind. Number one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But number two, it definitely helps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cold beer always sells better than. Know, ambient beer. Yeah. That's just that's a fact. Um, we um, with the business, we are not only just a retailer, but we are also a wholesaler. We supply yes. uh, Marks and Spencers, and you know we're looking to supply some of the supermarkets. And we know that um, there's a big drive across the industry to actually get more refrigeration in. 
um, to the larger multiples so they can actually serve cold pigs in her wool so on. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I really want to dig into, uh, well, let's start with how it came about. How did you get involved with supplying Marks and Spencers? It came about in 2006. I was working in my shop because I literally worked in the shop, lived above the shop in Twickenham. We still have a flat above the shop for staff to live in. And um, I got a call from a guy from Marks and Spencers saying he'd like to come down and meet me and would like, would, would potentially like to see if we'd be interested in supplying them with some beer. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I thought it was a bit of a joke. Yeah. Um, but as you do, I'm usually in shorts and a t-shirt, it's the way I kind of roll, but mm-hmm. I got suited and booted and kind of cleaned the shop up, got everything front facing, it looked really good. Had a guy turn up at my door that was dripping in sweat in a biking outfit. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, oh, I was like, you know, we kind of preach our rules for treatment for every single person coming, you treat them the same, you give them the same level of service. Yeah. I thought I'll quickly deal with this guy and get him gone before the MS guy turns up. Well, it turns out he was the MS guy. <laughs> and this is, this is kind of pre Google Maps. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he had looked where, he, where we were in relation to him, and he was in East London, and he'd miscalculated the distance. Okay. And so he, he turned up and he was dripping his face. So, then we have a quick shower upstairs and then spent the next kind of four and a half, five hours with him in a shop that is no bigger than kind of, you know, 20 metres squared, 30 yeah. metres squared, talking through every single beer, every single brewery, the industry, what's going on. Um, and shook his hands, he left the building and said, I think you're going to be our supplier. So we started off with, um, took another year to kind of get all set up with them and to pick the four products that we started with, which were four um, bottle conditioned beers. Uh, from Woodford's Brewery, um, Buckshire Ales, St. Hostel, and the Hepworth Brewery. Mm-hmm. And so we launched four bottle conditioned beers. The first IPA, Marks & Spencer, was sold, and it, the beers just took off. Um, we started with four then. We're now up to 230 to 250, depending on the season, with Christmas and summer and different things that come in and out. Um, and we've kind of grown under their umbrella, supplying beer, and we're now their biggest um, beer supplier, I suppose. Yeah. So, Uniquely, we have the shops, um, which gives us a, a really um, interesting look at what's actually happening at the coalface. Yeah. We've got lots of microbreweries and we're able to see what's going on. I mean, uh, yeah, in the, as a craft beer store or a beer store, uh, this, is, this is stocking everything from the cutting edge to, to the best-selling independent stuff to, to the classics, really. So it mm. really is uh, you know, a showcase of, of, of what I would say is, is happening in beer in the UK right now. So that must give you massive insight in terms of, of what's going to, you know, in terms of numbers, so what's going to work at a, at a national grocery level, right? Yes, it does. It does. Yeah. It's really, really helpful. What it also allows us is for new product development, we're able to spot an up-and-coming brewery and kind of help them progress along their journey. When you, when you say help them, what, what does that mean? As in just giving them a showcase, pushing them in the store? Well, we might have a conversation and say, look, we love your beer. We're stocking it in our shops. It's selling well, but mm-hmm. you're not big enough yet to adhere to the different kind of regulatory stuff you're going to need to to have to supply a national retailer yeah. and the volumes. You know, it might, might be on a five or ten barrel plant at the time. Yeah, it's not because it's not just about producing volume. It's about getting it's about accreditation. And accreditation, all the audit levels. I mean, in the business, you know, we're talking about the shops here today and the overall business we have two um, two and a half kind of food technologists who work in the business who go out and inspect breweries mm-hmm. um, to make sure they'll come up to the audit standards for the different supermarkets that we supply um, so we're able we have a lot of knowledge under the roof and we're able yeah. to help people so they can for future plan to ensure that when they get to a point where they do have the capacity and if they if it's a decision they want to then do to supply a multiple we're able to help them along that road to have everything in place when they get to that point. 
I think for me as well, the key part of that is relationships. Mm. So building those relationships early on and developing them right from kind of the, the very start from when we start to introduce them into our store right through, you know, working with them um, through the through kind of various phases of working through the M&S process. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a journey, definitely. Yeah. What are the logistical challenges in, in um, managing that stock for so many M&S stores? Because you also develop <clears throat> their own, some of their own brand lines, the ones we talked earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which are, they, are you able to talk about any of those that you, you, you work with? Yeah, I mean, there's um, a number of different breweries that we work with under the own M&S own label brand. Yeah. Um, St. Austell would be one, we've yeah. worked with them from very, very early on. Uh, the Cornish IPA, the uh, Cornish Pale Ale. Uh, is it just proper yeah. job or is it is it tweaked for M&S? It's, it's a different recipe. Okay. So it's brewed exclusively for M&S. Um, and um, I mean, most recently they've developed um, the Cornish Saison. Um, yes. Which is, you know, a, a great beer. Um, it goes into can um, and, um, you know, is very much a range that's developed um, in light of such an explosion in the, you know, in the can industry. But there's, you know, there's many other breweries. Good choice of words there, explosion in the can industry. We just published an article <laughs> yeah, yeah. about exploding cans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we hope we don't have those. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, an important point is quality, that's obviously. Obviously, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, yeah. very much so. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, breweries like Arbor, who we've kind of, I think, worked with right from the very yeah, beginning. Bristol. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, in Bristol. Yeah, Arbor in Bristol. Um, you know, we got their beers in very early on uh, when they were putting them into <clears> bottle, into, into the store. And, we, you know, we've worked with them right from the beginning. Um, and I think now they're, they're planning on putting a canning line into their brewery and they've changed a lot over that time and then now uh, there's now a, a product in can, uh, the laid-back pale ale, uh, which is a fantastic beer uh, under the M&S exclusive label. Yeah. Um, it's quite an unusual, if not a unique situation though, isn't it, to be an independent retailer that also supplies this the supermarket. So, how do you balance the needs of your of your two sides of the business? Is there any conflict between your, your retail and your distribution arms? Well, we don't think so. I mean, we the retail is run for retail, so we'll we'll make all decisions on everything we stock. Basically, we're a liquid delicatessen. We have beer. We I like that liquid delicatessen. We also have a little bit. Yeah. Of, we have we've, we have decent wine ranges and decent spirit ranges. Um, and cider. And cider. Yeah. Kind of we just everything that's boozy. Yeah we will get or non-alcoholic beer or something like that we just want it to be really good so we're looking mm -hmm. for the kind of the people who are producing really good really good products so who's, who's standing out for you right now oh crikey what in, in the retail side yeah yeah Ooh. um you've got some beers in front of you obviously yeah i mean obviously Cloudwater have kind of catapulted the uk scene to what it is now and breweries like verdant who are incredibly popular in our shops um but obviously with at the end of summer now, lagers are a big thing, mm -hmm. and especially here in Maida Vale, um, got a really big following. So a lot of the German classics, um, yeah. Augustino and Antagonies and things like that, they sell really, really well. Mm -hmm. um, and cider as well, we've kind of already talked about that today. Prior to this, um, there's a bit of a cider renaissance, and they're selling really, really well, especially stuff from Herefordshire, like Oliver's yeah. fine cider, brought into... 
brought into London by Felix, um, especially the drive style. Felix, as Felix well. Nash. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Fine cider. Yes. We have quite a good relationship with those guys. Mm. Um, but I think if we can get more people to drink good beer through whether it be our retail shops or through you know MS as a multiple retailer, then that's got to be a good thing. Absolutely. I mean, mm. we, we're all about. We we definitely focus on quality mm-hmm. yeah that's the key driver for us and it's not really any conflict as such because they're, they're, they're quite separate sides of the business really i mean like the same products that work in m&s might not work in our shops so yeah. i have complete freedom to get pretty much whatever i think works we want to always stay at the cutting edge of what's new and interesting yeah. and something that's going on while also stocking a range of just kind of ones that we know just we shovel volume through because you know at the end of the day, beer is a bit of a volume game. You need to kind of sell quite a bit of it to make some money. We've got a lot of heads to take care of now, mm-hmm. which is you know collectively in the business to pay. So we just need to keep our foot down and keep you know striving to do get good beers in, into the shop. Do you supply any other supermarkets outside of M&S? We have in the past. We don't currently. Okay. So how has the you've been in business since two thousand and four, working with with. Um, with M&S since 2006, you opened this store last year, so this, this, this is your second store. Yep. Yes. And this is, but this is different, your first store is, is, a, is a shop, yeah. uh, and this is also a, a, a cafe bar. It's not, it's not like a busy pub, it, it's, a, it's a sit-down bar. Yeah, yeah. it's a um, shop, yeah. So this, is, this, is, this feels very current. So how, but how has the market changed in the time you've been in business? Because what is it, um, 14 years? That's, that's an immense amount of time in beer terms. So how, how's it changed and has anything become more challenging or has anything, has anything become less challenging? Um, well, I mean, refrigeration has changed, um, format has changed, we've mm. previously talked about, about can and bottle and that type of stuff and keg and cask. Yeah. Um, we used to do a lot of cask beer in our shop at one point into polypins and dummy pins and you know, take home drugs and now it's all yeah. uh, carbonated. Where you have to vent keg, it yourself yeah, keg, mm. or face disaster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's, you know, cracking I'm cask quite, beer yeah. out there still. Quite yeah, we don't um, do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, logistically, it's quite difficult. They're bloody heavy to lift. Um, yeah. But I, I think the, I mean, on the for the mass market for the big retailers, there's definitely um, a lot of them have been squeezed by the discounters, and they're kind of reevaluating where they are and trying to um, reduce costs yeah. and get more value into the, you know, out of their chain and in, onto the shelf. Um, so that's definitely something that's come about in the last couple of years. There's also a lot's changed on distribution. Mm-hmm. So we used to have to buy from a couple wholesalers or direct from breweries, you know, mm-hmm. a pallet or two pallets at a time of beer for our retail outlets, for instance. Um, now we're able to order, you know, five or 10 cases or you know, three cases sometimes from a distributor, which allows us to turn our volume, turn our stock quicker, which keeps fresher beer on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Also allows us um, to kind of not tie up as much cash flow mm-hmm. and to be able to react quicker to new things that are coming out. Mm-hmm. So, which is really allows us, it's, it's upped our level of being a little bit more dynamic than we previously yeah. were. That, that's, I think that's kind of, sorry, like, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on. I think that's kind of feeding into a consumer change as well for wanting newer products mm. all the time, as opposed to just sticking to one brewery or beer that they love and just mm. buying that repeatedly. Um, you know, I've seen that change even in the last three, four years, and it just keeps getting more and more prevalent. Mm. It's the mm. thirst for new. I'm always amazed, you know, having a couple of stores we've also got on our and you know, over a week, you can go into each store 
and literally the range will change. Mm. You know, it's quite amazing how much we can get through and have a constantly evolving kind of shelf. Yeah. Whereas I think back when I started, it was quite different. It was fairly sort of static. You knew your range and you had a pretty big core range. Mm -hmm. um, well, I, I, that's, it's allowing us to service the biggie. Yeah, basically, and people who are really interested in their beer, that's the kind of customers that we have, and we have people who are experimenting with new stuff. If you go into a supermarket, they obviously are not able to change their range as quickly, and beers are flexible and adaptable. Mm -hmm. So they're looking for products which are not necessarily always as challenging, mm -hmm. but are then able, they'll shift good volume in, but you, I mean, you know, everyone can see in the supermarkets today, you can get so many different types of beer now. Yes. Whereas 10 years ago, you'd have a bitter, you know, you might have an IPA, mm. you know, uh, but you know, pale yes. and sours and saisons and yeah, you know, it, it's just remarkable the change that's gone through in the last, you know, ten or twelve. Years. It, it is that is remarkable, and it it is it's a boon, it's a boon because there's so much choice and, and consumers love choice. But beer is it, you know, it, it means so much, so many different things, you know. And you can't really compare a can of pale ale to a twenty quid bottle of lambic or, mm. or mixed fermentation mm. saison. But in the market, it's still. Beer. Yeah. And, and uh, it, this is something that came up in the conversation uh, with Tim Anderson, the owner of Namban, when we were recording the podcast the other day, because uh, we were trying to figure out where beer fits in the restaurant world mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to the retail world, which is something that fascinates me as, as someone who enjoys going to restaurants and, 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 and likes pouring through the wine list and sitting inside. Oh, they. Have they got any beer? Oh, thank God they've got bottles of Colonel, but I wish they had something on draft like that, you know? Um, so it's finding out where it fits in, and, and some people want to go to a restaurant and they just want to have a pint of something because they don't want something complex and complicated, and some people might want a bottle of something to sip at, yeah. but it's wine, and it's like, how does beer sort of not fight for that space but become a part of it? And it's, it's much the same in this space, really. It's like, how do you, how do you convince people who come in to sit down when they want a bottle to share, to, to, to go for a 20, 30 quid bottle of Saison. Well, we're, yeah, we're about the experience as well as the product. Yeah. So for a customer walking in, we want to kind of sell them the dream of being in a beer shop, being able to sit down, have knowledgeable, knowledgeable staff who know a lot about the beer, wine, the spirits, and are able to kind of talk about, say, the brewer or the ingredients and be really knowledgeable and be able to explain why something might be £22 mm -hmm. as opposed to something being £2. Yeah. Now, I mean, there are probably a couple of things which might be a bit overinflated in the beer market at the moment where some people are selling stuff a little bit more yeah. expensive than it might be, but the reality is the market dictates the price. Yes, indeed. So we have cans here that we can sell for £2. We have other ones that we'll be selling for 6 or £7 a can. Um, that could be a 330ml or a 500ml can. Um, we have bottles which will range from, you know, £1.80 a bottle up to, I don't know, God, 50 quid. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's different, it's horses for courses. I mean, I, I relate it to the wine industry. And the wine industry 15, 20 years ago went through a big revolution of people getting really into wine, discovering wine, discovering the grapes that they yeah. like, and discovering the styles and the regions that they'd like to drink from. Um, and, you know, there is a terroir in beer as well. 
and there are different things, you know, I also um, was lucky enough to uh, be a part of an ownership group that built a brewery two and a half years ago called Woodford's up in Norfolk. Yeah. We're the largest brewery in Norfolk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we we are convinced as a terroir for the barley that we buy, which is from Norfolk producers, mm-hmm. especially from the kind of North Norfolk coast and into the bubble of Norfolk, that you get a lot of sea frets off the ocean there, off the sea mm-hmm. there, and that ripens the barley at a different speed to farmers that are made way more inland in the yeah. central of the UK. And you get a diff- slightly different flavour. Yeah. So the malt, the, it's about educating the public about what the different parts of beer are, how there can be different flavours and how that can be influenced and then what the story is behind it. Yeah. That's what you say, you say you have shares in Woodfords. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating because that means you have, here in the store you have, you're, as, as you said earlier, the coal face of the cutting edge. So you've got a toe in that. You, you get to see what's happening in big retail and you're getting to see what's happening in the sort of traditional brewery world because Woodford's a part of that world and they're one of these breweries that are trying to figure out these changes, which is, you know. We've kind of figured it out. Yeah. Um, we know what we're doing. We've had a rebrand. We're kind of yeah. modernizing the business. Um, we are, you know, we've got great beers. Um, Wary on form is, is, uh, form is uh, a true gem. Yes, yeah, indeed. lovely Ambrell. We have Nelson's Revenge. We've ventured into our first um, cake beer with a couple more coming down the mm-hmm. line in the near future called our first one's a pale ale, American pale ale called Narada. Narada's named like where is a boat on the Norfolk mm-hmm. boards. Narada is also a boat from the Norfolk boards. So we're kind of sticking true to our heritage. We've recently just sponsored um, the home standard for Norwich City Football Club. Yeah. Um, called the Barclays. So we're kind of doing a massive um, push in Norfolk in our homeland yep, yep. Um, to really kind of pump ourselves out then we're kind of building ourselves up to be a national brand eventually mm-hmm. um, so it's really exciting we are seen as a cost brewer probably in the market yes indeed. I'd say we're actually just a bloody good brewer of good beer and we kind of don't care what vessel it goes in as long as the product is good and the consumer has a good beer that's in their hand or in their glass yeah I like that attitude so when are you going to brew your first milkshake New England IPA <laughs> 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 I'll have to get back to you on that. Yes, exactly. Or brew IPA. Yes, indeed. Um, speaking of which, I think we all yeah, have empty glasses. Let's try some of these beers, beers we have. Yeah, uh, what, so what, are, what have we got? I picked up a few beers from the shop upstairs. So I've got a collaboration between us, Real Ale, and Anspatch and Hop Day. Yeah, um, let's get it open. It's called the Enigma Code IPA. Does it use Enigma Hops by any chance? It uses Enigma Hops, yes. Uh, it's also a reference <laughs> to the fact that Alan Turing was born literally opposite yes shop. indeed yeah like the enigma code there you go hops. happy days i think and this is a classic example probably of where you know we're trying to engage you know with breweries yeah. by brewing but also you know back to your point about how do you, Thank you. how do you win people like how do you win customers over well you know you talk about the beer you made you introduce the brewery to the people yeah and they really get the whole picture and they get to try the beer it's that whole kind of ex, you know experience part of being in our shop and it's fun really to go brewing. Yeah. It's bloody fun to go brewing. Yeah. It is. And, and, it to is. Develop, yeah. and to be honest, to develop a brand, you know? Yeah. yeah. The Enigma brand we've developed with Anspatch and Hog Day. You know, Tim's partner designed mm-hmm. the label. It was a real... Kind of a family yeah. feel. Yeah. 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 Um, so cheers. What, yeah, no, cheers. 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 Um, so... As well as dealing with uh, M&S, you used to deal, this is something that I find quite interesting in your history, uh, you used to deal, do a service for camera. Yes. How yeah. did that come about? And that, you don't do that anymore. This you is, don't do that anymore, no. no. I don't think camera does anything like it. 
anymore? No, we we got approached again. I got approached. Um, I can't remember the year early on to help them. We we to kind of give you a bit of history about Real mm-hmm. at the time when um, we started the business. Real Ale was the Vogue name for beer. You know, it was in Vogue, um, like Craft is now. So we managed to get Real Ale Limited as our company name, realale.com as our yeah. domain. Um, so we kind of thought we snagged a thing. If I'd known that Craft Beer was going to come along, I would have snagged that <laughs> at the same time as well, because it's probably going. But uh, we didn't, weren't, weren't that kind of, for, you know, looking forward, unfortunately. Um, but we then got approached by, because we had an online website selling a lot of beer online, and we were trying yeah. to crack the online kind of beer distribution model, which yeah, we Yeah, way ahead of, of yeah, that actually being ahead, And we kind of decided actually, for, for we were busy fools. Yeah, um, we were challenging. Selling, challenging. Just challenging, but it was a challenging yeah. thing to do. And so, but during that process, we got approached by camera to um, help them launch an online um, beer club, bottle conditioned beer club. Yeah. And at the time, we thought it might be a good idea, so we kind of rolled into that. We did, we did all that. We'd select a whole bunch of beers from around the country. First ever online beer club, maybe? Uh, it might have been. I'm not honestly yeah. sure, but yeah. What year was it? Also, like 2000. And, um, it would have been 2008. Yeah. Okay. It was early on. Early yeah. On. We launched our website, reall.com, at, at the GBBF in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, we, can, you know, we had about 30,000 people kind of try and win free beer for a year. That was my yeah. promotion. But unfortunately, I wasn't clever enough to actually have computers there for everyone to put their information in. <laughs> so we had all these cards, and it took us a year to put all the information into a computer. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there have been a lot of mistakes along the yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> that one I will not make again. Yeah, indeed. Um, but to go back to it, so we helped Camera launch the, the um, Bottle Condition Camera Beer Club. Um, and we were sending out, you know, a couple thousand cases um, every other month to members. But what we found was, um, we, we were chat, it was challenging. We got through all the bottle condition beers in the country quite quickly, Yeah, doing it, that, we were, that we had decent quality. And this is kind of where our background in Marks and Spencer's supplying them, we could pretty much ascertain quite quickly if a brewery had good enough quality beer. And because mm-hmm. of our shops, we were stocking a lot of the beer. So we started off doing all bottle condition stuff. We would know which ones would be over-conditioned quite quickly or which ones kind of didn't work. Mm-hmm. We unfortunately got through the rate. There weren't that many, to be blunt. Mm-hmm. Brewers had not kind of got bottling. And the small microbreweries in the country had not got bottling down to a very good science at that point. The larger boys definitely did. So your fullers of the world and things like that, they had yeah. lovely bottle condition beers. You always guarantee that you have no problems with the beer. But, you know, we ran into problems with returns and stuff from customers where, you know, you'd open the beer and a fountain out the top. It's like, it's just not good enough. So we were kind of quite challenging with camera um, to say, you know, we're running out of beer here. This isn't kind of a sustainable model to just keep doing this. We need to venture into other styles of beer, i.e. we might need to look at some filtered beer. What do you think about that? Yeah, what was that their reaction? completely against the ethos yeah. of camera, which is, you know, I understand all of that, yeah. but the reality was there just weren't enough, there wasn't enough beer in the UK. So the decision was to take and to go, actually, we're better off just wrapping this up. I think they were going to try and farm it out to someone else and everyone else just kind of walked away. I was like, yeah, we've kind of seen that car crash. So, so yeah. Indeed. But what was, the, what was their reaction when you said we should look at some filtered beer? Did, um, to be completely honest with you, um, they were, you know, they are dictated by their membership. Indeed. So yeah. there were sympathetic ears, 
mm-hmm. at head office, but you, they have to stick to what their membership have decided it, to do. Indeed, and if, if I think it's too archaic, and I think it should just be good beer, I kind of slightly get bent out of shape when I go to the GBBF and I see foreign beer all in kegs, but we yeah. can't get domestic beer in kegs because indeed. we're seen as um, real early. I own part of a cask brewery that you know, yes. produces kind of twenty thousand barrels of cask beer a year, and. I'm fully behind cask. Yes. There are good keg beers. Absolutely. There are good filtered beers. There are good bulk edition beers. There's good beers in a can, whether they're filtered or, you know, or not. Um, so it's just so I kind of we agree to disagree on that. But yeah. They, they can't do that. That's the, that's how the membership's set up. And the membership really, if people want to change camera, they should join camera. Yeah. And change it from inside with their vote of membership. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, that's it's, what it's, I done. It's it's right. interesting. Did you go to GBBF this year? I, I actually uh, had a had a rest year. Yeah. <laughs> went this year. Went, I enjoyed went, it. Went this year. Yeah. <laughs> went, how uh, what, how was your experience of, of this year? Experience? I heard I heard the numbers were down. Um, I, I went on the trade day. It, it it was actually quite busy on the trade day. Um, there would seem to be not as many big brewery bars there this yeah, year. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed it. It's all you know. It's a really good for in the industry. It's a great networking mm-hmm. um, event. Um, yeah, and there's you know it's so good to see. There's a lot. You know, the split of the demographic in there is now. You know, a lot more women there than yeah. there were kind of ten years ago. That's another thing that's hugely changed in the industry. Yeah. Female drinkers, you know, it's absolutely brilliant. They're you know getting into beers and all different styles. It's getting there. There's definitely still clear hurdles and some less clear, but it, it is even in the the years I've been in the industry, it is it is changing in the right direction. I mean, we say that this is four blokes sat around a table. Yeah. But the the view is it it is it is it's getting there. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, in our business, we probably have a third of our staff are female. I'd mm-hmm. say. But we're always actively looking to try and increase that. Yeah, I think yeah, that is definitely, yeah. definitely to try and make yeah. it the right 50-50 split that it should be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are more and more applicants for possessions. Yeah, female. which is really... Yeah, if anyone's right. listening, please apply. Yeah. 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 Are you recruiting at the moment? We're always yeah. recruiting. Yeah, actually, yes. Yeah, yeah. We have plans to expand, so we, we are always looking for good people who are interested in beer, wine and everything. Mm-hmm. So coming back to, to, to camera, it's interesting, you know, you're talking about how you, you, you uh, own part of a, a cask-focused brewery that's looking to modern modern keg products. And, and the thing is with, for me with camera is that it's, in terms of a, its life cycle, it's still, you know, it's a 40-year-old organization, but it's still young enough, whereas there's, there's membership from the 70s, 80s, even 90s, who, where, the, where keg beer was bad, Yes, beer. It was it was filtered, pasteurized. Yeah, look, Cameron has done it's been yeah. absolutely brilliant for the beer industry. Oh, absolutely, it's completely saved it. So that should never be taken away. The the only problem for Cameron is the industry has literally flipped on its head in the last few years, and so they and they are still they are figuring that out while it is uh, while they still have they are a member they are a members organisation as you said it's it's not the case of a bunch of people in the head office saying right we we support keg beer now and we're going to have. We're going to support all 2,000 independent brewers in the UK, and we're going to have keg beer as well as cask beer because some of the membership will say, "Well, that's not why. That's not why we're a member." Mm. And so it's um, you know they try to do this revitalization project. It seemed like a bit of a failure to me. I mean, uh, it got a conversation started, but it still feels like the, the same old, same old camera. And it's it's interesting to me because now you know, the same week as GBBF you have the London Craft Beer Festival and they are not just pushing a modern trendy agenda that is there and it's you know it's 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 a very different proposition as a festival with with uh, with 
DJs and music and low lighting and it's, it's very different but they also have Fuller's sponsoring a, a wonderfully curated cask section Absolutely. that has a Absolutely. lot of it's fabulous we were there as well I mean it's, it's great we kind of have a festival period at the business where everyone's meant to go out and not work too much and just research and just research mm. yeah, and product development mm. or whatever you want to call it mm. um, to experience what's going on in the industry and what other people are doing so you get to pull a lot of knowledge from um, this retail store and your other retail store that, that, that you have you and your dealings with uh, uh, with Marks and Spencer's a large retailer and and the brewery you own so in your opinion um, where do you think the market's heading because we're seeing more and more independence emerge we're seeing we're still seeing brewery growth uh, and we are seeing more and more larger craft breweries roll out lines into supermarkets some of the very largest you can now get for all intents and purposes craft beer for three for a fiver you know mm-hmm. deal, a, a deal pricing mm-hmm. yeah. and meanwhile you can buy three cans for a fiver of say stone ipa a brewed yeah. ipa in the supermarket but if you want to go and get one can of the latest club or double ipa that's going to set you back seven pounds for a single can so it, there's a lot of disparity there, but where do you think the market's heading, and and how do you think the consumer perceives that? Uh, I think the market is answer market consumer consumer. I think the market is heading towards um, consolidation in the brewing industry. Yeah. So I think breweries will continue to um, need additional funding. Yes. There's a lot of breweries that are underfunded at the moment. Um, and There's a lot of lot of growing breweries with a lot of debt. Yeah, and I think there'll be some consolidation as we've already seen, and there's some you know, names that have been who have um, sold to you know you know massive companies, which is you know great for them to then be able to get into a bigger distribution network to have some more money behind them so they can keep pushing their brands and their beer and to grow their businesses. Um, the flip side is there's still small guys who are opening up. And mm-hmm. I think it's becoming more, more and more challenging market. Um, so that's going to be kind of an, an interesting thing. At what point does it kind of pop? Mm-hmm. And actually, there's just too many. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know quite where that is, but I think we're getting quite close to it. Um, it's to a bubble burst, you might well, say. I think it's saturation. It's just saturation. There's, yeah. just, there's a lot of competition on the bar, mm-hmm. um, and on the retail shelves, wherever people. Are, I mean, you know, there's over 50% take-home market now um, in the UK. So you know. Pubs yeah. have gone through a transition. Pubs were closing over you know, the last couple of years. There's been a lot of pub closures. Yeah, and there still are. That's and slowing. They're, still are. they're, they're still slowing are. now. But then I'd say also there's a lot of places which are opening up which are offering something different. And then mm-hmm. it's all usually about the experience in the in the, the yeah. outlet and that you can consume. It's got a lot more experiential from a retail perspective yeah. Yeah. as well. It's mm-hmm. more about what you can bring and what sets you apart from other retailers or from going to the pub. Traditional yeah. English boozer. Yeah, I suppose from, um, from our perspective with this store, you know, it's such a natural next step to offer the kind of on-site drinking concept. Yeah. And that is definitely the hybrid of where we began with an off-license. Yeah. Um, you know, this is the kind of modern-day bottle shop and the whole kind of experience yeah. of meeting a brewery, having a tap takeover, and yeah, you can do it in a bottle shop at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. You, just don't, you don't want people to come in at the end of the week and buy their, their, their weekend's worth of drinking. You want them to sit down for a couple of hours, yeah. enjoy something here, but not yeah. just that chat with the staff, talk about yeah. the product, yeah, you know, exactly. get geeky. And it's, it's less away from actually people just doing all their shopping here um, and more to do with you know, them coming in, having a drink on site, having a chat, learning something. You know, we're probably not going and to. And informing us occasionally. 
yeah, yeah. That, that's always really it's nice to kind of have the give and take but yeah. it, you know it's great to have lots of choice but it, again it goes back to that you know it's got to be about good quality yeah, yeah. because the minute you get you know a bad apple it can really send ripples it, through I think yeah the it's really your last point exactly yeah yeah, yeah exactly produced. It's, it's about curating a range well because um, there's a lot of options now in London um, and you can get cheap beer from the supermarket, cheap half decent beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got to have a point of difference and I can see in the future becoming more and more specialised, more and more high end in a similar way to the wine world. You know, you can get half decent wines in, in Waitrose and M&S but it hasn't stopped independent wine merchants opening up and being very successful mm. and a lot of them are actually switching to on trade now as well. Mm-hmm. On site, yeah. So are consumers getting a good deal at independent retailers like this? Because we talked, you, you know, you said you, meant, you used the word half decent to describe a supermarket's range, but yep. you also su- supply a supermarket. So I assume you think that's 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 very decent. I would say I would say Marks Dispensers is is great. Waitrose is another gr- good example of yes. a of a very um, mm. focused supermarket yep. with a focused range. That you know they've got Red Church and. Five points and Beaver Town yeah. beers. I want to beers. I want to buy. Yeah, I was trying to refer to wine. Yes. Beer, okay, you're yeah. referring to rock wine. Okay, that's very. That's very, That's a very important differentiator. That, yeah, I wouldn't go to the supermarket for a really good bottle of wine. So the, yeah. the selection is, and that's it. That's quite interesting because when it was in the '90s, when that was when the, the this was happening to the wine industry, wasn't it? And you could mm-hmm. you could get everything from the cheap wine to a decent bottle of wine. And maybe that's the way beer's gonna go. And that's, that's how the supermarket presents itself, because my question is, how are, are consumers getting a good deal at independence? When they buy a seven pound can of, of Dipper, is that a good deal? Is, you know, and it's because it's not just about buying the beer, it's about the no, experience. I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest someone should necessarily buy 24 of them at seven quid. Mm-hmm. Pop, but if you kind of want that beer, that's the price it is. Indeed, that's the market. But if you know, if it, if, it, if the market dictates that sold at two pounds, mm-hmm. we'll sell it at two pounds. Yeah. If, if you can't get it anywhere else, and you happen to be closer to a shop that's selling it for seven pounds, then it, it's a good deal. And if you want mm-hmm. it, you're going to buy it. It's simply um, supply and demand. Yeah. How how is the tap room and the rise of own premise retail affecting you? Because if you, you look at there's Cloudwater, they're opening their bar, but that's going to be a retail shop. Yeah. So is the pressure drop and Verdant bar that just opened, um, and m- most breweries sell um, sell direct uh, in, in the tap rooms in London. So how is own premise going to affect? Uh, I don't think that's, that's, that's all part of the scene. I think yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite early days yet to yes, make a yeah. definitive judgment on that. Well, it is here, but it's not in the US. No, no. I've been to the US no. a lot, and it's you know for the US listeners, they'll be like, we well, have tap rooms. Every it's, single bo- every single mm. brewery out there has their own tap room. They a lot of them start from brew pubs. Yeah. So that's not a concept that's that's lost. Um, consumer wants to be able to go to the brewery tap, and we have a brewery tap up in Norfolk at Woodford's, we have our own pub. Yeah. Sells all of our range of beer all the time. You know, you can roll a cask across the across the parking lot, and it's in the tap room straight away. So that's great, but you know, I only have one tap room, yeah. so it, that's fine. Do you have any pubs? We have just, just one pub. Okay. Inside. I, th- I think as well, what we've tried to do is position our retail spaces within a residential setting. So you know, mm. you can go down the Burnsy Mall and around that area. Um, and you know, you've got that whole kind of collection of exciting breweries and, and some stores. Whereas what we're trying to do is actually position them within residential areas. Mm-hmm. So the key hub of the community. We have yeah. different yeah. kind of competition. We want to be a neighbourhood bottle shop, you know, somewhere where people live. Yes. Um, that's local, um, where people can build a relationship with our staff and, and uh, the stuff we offer, basically. Yeah. 
and obviously I'd say the, the difference to a, a tap room is that we also offer wine and, and it's, yes. you know, obviously it's not it's not written in the real L name but actually it's a massive part of what we do yeah. particularly well in both stores isn't it yeah especially in Main Vale but also in Twickenham as well yeah. it's a huge yeah. part yeah especially with the, the rise of uh, natural wine yeah. especially yeah. speaking as, a, as someone who identifies as a beer person who is getting really into natural wine and when we were doing the tour earlier I was like oh you've got some, some great wines I enjoyed earlier this week so yeah. that you know are you seeing that? Are you seeing beer people come in and say, looking at the ciders, looking at the wines? Definitely. I mean, we like to sell beer to wine drinkers and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly there are a lot of new uh, people curious about the wines we sell who are perhaps interested in the, in the, in the wild ales and the girds yes, and the, yeah. the lamb mixed, mixed fermentation saisons and so on. Um, there's a lot of crossover. So, yeah, there's definitely a growing market for that, especially with slightly younger drinkers. Mm. So we're seeing a lot of... Um, you're, you're a retailer that moved into distribution, but we're also seeing a number of distributors moving into retail. So Cave Direct is a good example with their beer merchants website, and, and now they've got their their uh, tap room and retail site in Hackney Wick. The Bottle Shop is another example. They've got uh, multiple retail sites. So why do you think that is? Why, what's the appeal of, of, of retail to distribution distributors? Is, is distribution getting squeezed? There's a hell of a lot of competition in distribution. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are people who are solely devoted to doing that and are very tight, very efficient. Um, it's, it's challenging. Frankly, it's about mar- I mean, margins. Yeah. Margins are much smaller on wholesale distribution. If you can build a nice you know, space for people to come and drink and charge them £6 for a third, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, you make great margin out of it, so that's a good way to yeah. build your business. And not forgetting, for the US listeners, you know, this country um, had brewers 50, 60, 70 years ago. They were all family, big, all family breweries dotted all over the country. Yes. Traditionally, you know, they grew up in their local region brewing cask beer. They would then invest in a pub estate and have a pub estate so they had guaranteed volume channels for their beer they're producing. Yeah. And that was the kind of traditional model until it kind of all... You know, got overtaken by pub companies and they got all a bit too big and then the government had to regulate mm-hmm. them. But you know, what is a distributor doing now opening retail? Guaranteed outlets. Yeah. And guaranteed retail margin. It's you know, you, you're moving all this beer around the country, why not sell some at a retail margin for yourself at the same time? That's what breweries are doing. It's yeah. exactly what breweries do. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if someone then opens a brewery as well. Yeah. You know, mm. that's kind of well. Cave Directors, you know, uh, not you brewing, know. but they're going to blend and release yeah. their own yeah, you've got uh, wild beer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but you've got the value chain from start to finish. So. It's a really nice place, that. Yeah. It is. Yes, yeah, a very, very impressive uh, bar. Um, should we? Should we? Uh, before we get to the next question, should we open another beer? Sure. Yeah, sure. Yes. So I've got a brute IPA here from Cloudwater. Oh, a brute IPA, very on trend. Um, I've not had this one actually. Neither um, have I. Um, I tried one on tap that they'd done, uh, rather than using the amyloglucidase, uh, if I try and say that right, the enzyme um, that eats up all the residual sugar, it was you, they used champagne yeast mm-hmm. to, do, to do that effect. And that gave a lovely um, spritzy carbonation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I had a really great Brut IPA from Northern Monk, which was with um, a brewer from Barcelona. Um, thank you. Um, Edge Brewing in Barcelona. Uh, yeah. That was really impressive because, I mean, it, essentially these are just, um, uh, these are, this is sort of, some sort of West East Coast IPA hybrid. Yeah, from but San Francisco or something. Yeah, yeah, from the Bay yeah. Area. 
Um, but um, it's, it's very difficult for me to quantify this style against what the originals were that they're based on because I've never been to the brewers that invented them. And I think that's the difference between this and New the New England yeah. IPA craze is the New England IPA craze happened because people were smuggling out cans of Heady Topper and going, holy shit, this is, this is, yeah. this is great. But then some brewers were actually like harvesting the, the lazy yeast that was left over yeah. in the can and propagating it. And then that's how you got these really murky beers and then the yeast producers were like, well actually we'll make your yeast that does that anyway. <laughs> um, um, and that was fascinating because that was a very organic process based on experience and this is just based on the internet. Someone went, Brut IPA, we've had one in San Francisco, it's amazing and everyone was like, Done. well let's make one. And that, that, yeah. that might be the future of, of how, how styles spread by literally yeah, you're the right. internet. And I, I don't like that. Uh, I like that like the, the New England IPA, which I'm a big fan of as a style, evolved quite organically um, and, and mm. uh, Brute, it just came out of nowhere. Maybe that's me starting to be a bit old man yells at cloud, like, <laughs> I don't understand I this beer be, the kids are drinking. Well, there might be a lot more of this I love New England, I you know, New England style as well, but mm. I will say that we spent a bloody long time trying to make beer clear. Yeah, we did. And now we're going to kind of reverse engineer all of that out. Mm. Um, so it's an interesting um, move that's happening in the industry. Yeah, really, really is. Because yeah, it's like mm. the dynamics. What's interesting is you can have, if you go into a pub and you have a cask beer, you know, someone will send, send it back if it's a bit hazy. Yeah. But if, it, if, it's, if you put New England on it, you get away with murder. Mm. Now people well, are looking for haze, in, ironically. Yeah. But yeah, within the kind of, within, within our the, world. Within, yeah. yeah. But I think still your oh, average Joe yeah. is going to walk in and you know think a hazy beer is not good yeah, yeah. we need to think outside our bubble here yeah yeah, yeah. We do. indeed it's, yeah. it's it's interesting because there are cask focused producers i think more are probably the the biggest example who because they produce unfined beer they yep. it's hazy but then there are brewers like um two two examples that spring to mind a tapstone in somerset and west by three quite a new brewery in swansea but they are deliberately producing sort of what a new england style for case, case yeah. which yeah. is which is fascinating because yeah. that is the antithesis of, of of kind of the presentation. You know, yeah. that must be in a lot of pubs. Those beers go to that must be a struggle when that is like literally a pint yeah. of of, of yellow yeah. juice pops out. You know, mm -hmm. there must yeah. be a lot of fight back with that. It would take some explaining. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. So let's let's just uh, change the subject a little bit because I want to talk about the sort of the elephant in the room with retail and distribution, which is pricing. Um, so do you think craft brewers uh, and independents are, are under threat from, from discounting at supermarkets because M&S for me they just deals like any other supermarket but it definitely is, is it's not the cheapest it's not, it's not it, uh, Waitrose are, are quite aggressive um, they were doing Goose Island for IPA for one forty a can which is a 6.5% beer no 5.9 5.9 mm. is £1.40 a can which is in terms of that's I remember seeing a cost price. That beer used to cost like mm. one ninety nine before yeah. VAT, mm. and now it's yeah, so it's mad. So do you think that the, the disparity in in the perceived value could be damaging? What between what you can get in the supermarket and, and retail? What you get here, yeah, yeah, definitely. But I mean, it 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 kind of forces us to be a little bit more creative and think more closely about our range and what we're stocking because there's always an alternative yeah it's not like you're not suddenly no people are going oh this beer like yeah. you know beaver town's two pounds in the supermarket now so i'm going to stop buying no. 
you know, verdant. Yeah. No. I mean, but it's in, exactly. in, a, in a supermarket, they're going to buy X number of trunker loads at a time of the beer. Yeah. And also, yeah. the kind of Goose Island or beers in those kind of genres, they've got to the point where they're full duty, you know, they're at maximum duty. They've got, you know, huge economics of scale at that point. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of cash behind them. So they're able to kind of fund and they can get away with a slightly cheaper margin but at, and, and dominate a marketplace, you know, get really big volume. So there is, um, you know, it's not necessarily a race to the bottom all the time, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, it's, there's, you know, the supermarkets are struggling with, uh, you know, discount supermarkets yeah. who have taken a lot of their volume. And, you know, the reality is they've got to play the game to make sure they're turning, you know, flipping stuff off their shelves as well. So they're gonna have, they are gonna be doing more price promotions, I'd imagine. Um, and you've just gotta kinda of understand that beers that are gonna be on a supermarket shelf um, are gonna be usually from bigger breweries. I mean, we've managed to get quite a lot of small breweries into Mott Suspensers, and that's why I think they're leading the marketplace in having fabulous beers on their shelf from yeah. you know, their kind of beer specialists on the high street. Not to say that other supermarkets are not doing a good job, they are as well. But it's a kind of it's a definitely balancing act for them on pricing for, you know, we're sending truckloads of beer around the country every day, um, into Marshall's Vessels from all different types of breweries. If you're buying stuff by the truckload, you can obviously get it a little bit more cheaper for a retail shop like this, you know, not buying by the truckload, you're buying yeah. by the case. But then but then it's the that's where we have to then look for the new breweries. Yeah, that's exactly. what I was saying about being creative. Yeah. You know, there, there's no shortage of choice, certainly even just looking within London. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. The amount of yeah. are staggering. What's your process for looking for a new brewery? Um, probably do what I do, scroll lots, through Twitter. Lots of things. Uh, well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, not going to lie, Instagram's a big yeah, force. Yeah, and Twitter, it, it, you know. I mean, no, like they're word incredible. Mouth, you know, they're um, incredibly useful. The really. Hive Mind. Beer right? festivals. Um, yeah, untapped, you know, people, as there's reviews there, beer festivals, go to clubs, drinking. People walking in with beers. Customers. Yeah. Word of mouth, customers. It can happen you anywhere. Name it. One of my favourite experiences last year, I was I was in Hereford and, and someone just said, I'll try this, and just opened this bottle, poured it in, and I took one sip and I went, fuck me, what's this? And yeah. it was my first bottle of Mills Brewing. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Uh, Incredible. Mixed fermentation beer, making beer with Tom Oliver's cider leaves in collaboration with Tom Oliver. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and the, the brewer was there, Johnny Mills, and I just grabbed him and said, is this your beer? Yeah. It's like, can I buy a case now, please? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> please. Yeah. Um, and, it's but, a lovely moment, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. I, I felt like I'd, I'd found like, the best kept secret. Like, this is, this is mine, but I can't wait to tell everyone yeah. about this brewery. Yeah. And now, uh, when he releases a beer, I can't get any because it sells yeah. out too quickly. We missed out on their last batch of the running beer. It's, yeah. It pains me. Yeah. See it on Instagram. We, we, we've had that experience with a number of different... I mean, one that stands out is really early on, a guy who used to work at the business who was there from the very start, a guy called Dove, who's a great guy. He found Kermit yeah. right at the beginning. I mean, in Borough Market. And they were three barrels on the Yeah, yeah. and we yeah. were one of Heaven the first... Heaven deliver to us. Yeah, we were one of the first shops <laughs> that stopped their beer. We still stop their beer today. Um, and, you know, that was like a little golden moment of just bloody lovely beer. You've got to yeah. love the Colonel. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's cracking beer, nice ethos in the way they run their business. Um, yeah, so, you know, that's kind of, you know, we still stop them. So, when we have a good brewer, we'll, you know, we don't, we work like long-term relationships. Mm-hmm. That's really important to us, and finding new beers is always just really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But how do you then convince people to spend the money on them? You know, a bottle of Mills, twenty quid. You know, it's only going to get more expensive with the cost of uh, production and ingredients increasing. So mm-hmm. how do we? 
ensure that there is there is value in in uh, high end beer for the consumer mm. when they can get it at a, at a good price in the supermarket. But the supermarket will never sell something like a, a Mills beer. Now, well, well, maybe now, but what in, yeah. what, you know. They, maybe five, 10 you know, years down the line. Five years ago, five years ago, they wouldn't sell Beaver Town Gamma Ray, and now you can get it in Waitrose. Mm. So that's that's how fast we're evolving. Mm. So yeah, I think. I don't think Mills is going to make enough beer yeah. <laughs> in five years time to, to stock a supermarket, yeah. but, but Burning Sky might, or, or Wild Beer Co. Yeah. certainly might. They're building, they're, they're investing in one and a half million in a, in a, yeah. in a big production facility and near Brewdog Glastonbury. as well. well of course, Brewdog, Overworks, yeah. when their, their bottles aren't collapsing in on themselves. Mm. Um, I don't know if you heard about that, the, the bottles for their, they had to dump their entire first bottling run because one in 10 bottles was uh, had. Who's this? Brewdog. Brewdog. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Imploding. Mm-hmm. That sucks. It does, it's horrible. Yeah. I feel terrible for I've them. I've done a lot of pack. Moving on. Yeah. yeah. Packaging is an art in itself. Yeah, it Packaging is. Packaging is an art in itself. Um, I think, um, you know, the game is, the reality is, the market dictates that if you're going to go into mass distribution, your price needs to be a lower price than at 22 quid a bottle. Mm-hmm. So you need to decide as a brewer, what, where do you want to be? Do you mm. want to have high volume or do you want to have low volume? And that might, it might be a lifestyle business. Yeah. You, it, it's absolutely, there, there's no right or wrong answer. You've just got to pick what, I, I believe you have to pick what you want for your business. Um, and then your price will be dictated to you slightly from what a supermarket might want or what a multiple outlet store may want or whoever you're going to try and sell your beer to and what a pub group might want. Um, it's all, I mean, and, and it comes back to, doesn't it, what we can offer that a big supermarket store can't, and that's, you know, these tables and getting it on license and getting eight taps upstairs and, you know, offering, again, it's, you know, just back to something a little bit different, which is an experience. Yeah, experience. You know, it's personable. You're never going to get that in a supermarket. Build up a relationship with people working there. Um, it's just just a better vibe, basically. Mm. And, and the brewer has to do their part in the equation as well and tell you why it is worth that. What is special, what is different about the product they put in the bottle? Mm-hmm. Why should it be that yeah. price? Because we'll have stuff that comes to us and we're like, it's just not worth it at all. Mm. Yeah. Cloud also, but, I mean, we've obviously cited them as many more brewers. This is, fa- this is fantastic. The, the, yeah, yeah, this is definitely the best bit. brew type I've ever tried. Yeah. So my second. Setting a high bar. Yeah. Paul is very good at that, isn't he? Talking about the beers and what goes into Oh, the absolutely. Beer, yeah. You know? yeah. And I think lots of people know that, therefore you're intrigued by the beer. If you, if you look at, sort of, and if the you take a cross-section of the, the yeah. breweries that yeah. are yeah. most popular, they're the ones who have ambassadors. You know, look at Beaver Town, Logan going out there. And, you know, he's an incredibly yeah. charismatic guy, knows his shit about beer, and he, he will go out there and, and and spread the good word, mm-hmm. um, and that's a resource they still have. You know, you know, despite the Heine- the backlash from the Heineken deal, they still have all of that to use to get out there, do meet the brewers. They, you know, that's not changed. Yeah. And and, uh, and uh, I guess that leads into my next question: is what, what's the future? Because you are, you're in this really unique standpoint um, where you you have an eye on on traditional brewing, you have an eye on on uh, national grocery, and an eye, and an eye on the shop floor. You know. At the coal face, to mm-hmm. use, I like that expression. So where's it going? You know, we've seen the industry, especially for retail and distribution, it's changed rapidly over the next five years. So what's it going to look like in another five years? For, for us, we have a strategy of kind of cementing where we are, and mm-hmm. growing our retail offer, 
So we're looking at a third store now, um, mm -hmm. and we have plans for, for more going forward. Just in London, or would you consider moving out of London as well? We will probably... I mean, Twickenham is almost... I mean, I would say it's, London. It's on the cusp. Yeah. yeah. We, we'll, we'll kind of stick to this area at this moment in time. It's, you know, you kind of talk about distribution. You've got to be able to kind of get around your stores and get beer to each store. Yeah. And mm. be efficient about how you do it. So you kind of don't want... I don't want one in Glasgow. The next one's not in Glasgow no. kind of thing. But I went to a great shop like this called Grunting Growler in Glasgow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we'll to. we'll stick in our kind of area at the moment, mm -hmm. and kind of then it's just slowly expand um, as as we grow. And then you know we are we've got kind of fingers in lots of different pies to kind of we're starting to mm -hmm. try and do some export. We're trying to just yeah, yeah. And dive and play around a little bit. Yeah, and we're in West London as well, which is it. People call it as in terms of modern beer, people call it a bit of a beer desert. Mm -hmm. There's actually. Mm -hmm. Ton of great pubs. There's loads of Fuller's pubs, and, and yep. which are, yeah. Fuller's pubs are fantastic now. If you're ever in a bind, they've just they, they've changed their offering. Yeah, yeah. they've I really think, changed. Yeah, they've, yeah. They've got they've the, the unions kind of haven't they? Right? So, well. do you think, so do you think it's important for you to be in this in in because we're in Maidavale? Yeah. Um, and uh, there's there's not a lot of the, sort of, you know this is the opposite side of London to, to where the action is to Hackney and Bermondsey. Yeah. It's that, important for you to be here. Right? That's yeah, good. There's a, of, there's a lot of chimney pots here. Yeah. The, yeah. You know, exactly. I think it's you know it's also about where we're we're all from from West London. So mm -hmm. you know we know the area. You know we want to we want to be a part of it, and our community is really important to us. So let's build it around here. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of beer drinkers here. Sure. Yeah. And wine drinkers. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, guys. Cheers. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you'd like to support the content we produce at Pellicle, please consider supporting us via Patreon. You can sign up by visiting patreon.com forward slash Mag. Please also consider leaving us a review in your podcast app of choice, as this will help more people find the show. Until next time, I've been your host, Matthew Curtis, and you've been listening to the Pellicle Podcast. <laughs>